Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. All right, folks, today is Wednesday, March 4th, 2020, the day after Super Tuesday. As I call it, Mike Bloomberg drops out of the race. She and Elizabeth Warren, uh, she is determining what she is going to do next. Oh, yeah, folks, uh, it is going to be a jam-packed show for us discussing exactly what took place last night. And now, where do they move forward? Senator Bernie Sanders, he spoke today as well. What is he going to do? Folks, on this show, we'll talk to Senator Doug Jones, who was, of course, a Democratic nominee, won last night in Alabama. Uh, and also, Sean King, really? You want to try to call out Rachel Maddow? And why are you going to block me, Sean? That's a punk-ass move, dog. I'm going to break it all down. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the find. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling.
Big night for Joe Biden all across Super Tuesday, winning a significant number of states. Senator Bernie Sanders, people thought he was going to crush it on Super Tuesday. That didn't happen. It's amazing how fast fortunes change. Mike Bloomberg today dropped out of the presidential race, endorsing Joe Biden. But last night, one of the states Joe Biden won was Alabama, where, of course, uh, my next guest, he, of course, also won the Democratic nomination. He is waiting to figure out who he's going to be against. Will it be former Senator Jeff Sessions? Will it be former uh, coach Tommy Tuberville? Joining us right now is uh, Senator Doug Jones. Senator, how you doing? I'm doing good, Roland. Thanks for having me today. All right. So uh, you don't know who you're going to run against. You've got crazy and really crazy. Those <laughs> are the two choices, Tuberville and Jeff Sessions. Uh, what do you make of what's happening on the Republican side? You know, it, it has been really sad to watch, to be honest with you, to see how low the Republican Party in Alabama has gone with, with this race. I mean, you've got... Sessions, who is such a divisive character, he's divisive in Alabama, obviously, 20 years as a senator and couldn't get but a little over 30 percent of the vote. Uh, and then you got uh, to Coach Tuberville, who is just his views have gotten to be so extreme. It's just unbelievable. So, you know, we're feeling really good about where we are. We're doing all the things that we said that we would do. And you and I have talked about before, talking about the kitchen table issues and things that matter to all people in Alabama. That's our that's our whole mantra is one Alabama. So we feel really, really good. Your court, you are going to have a tough re-election. The bottom line is you won a special election. You're running against Judge Roy Moore. Last night he placed fourth uh, in that primary. Uh, he was, you know, this boogeyman folks were looking at. One of the issues that we talked about when we, I was there in uh, December for our Black Journalist Board meeting when you and I had lunch, you got 900,000 people who are unregistered in Alabama, 500,000 African-American. What is being done on the ground uh, to get those folks registered before the November election? You know, there's a lot of things that are happening right now. We've got some folks that are starting to do that. The most significant thing that we've had to develop right now is that we've, you know, we've finally got a Democratic Party in Alabama. We have for so long have just kind of wandered in the wilderness without a party to, to lead us. Uh, and to do those kind of things. But now we have a, a real viable Democratic Party. We've put young people in there. We've got the first African-American chair, Chris England, uh, that is in there. And we're beginning to raise money for that party to put that infrastructure in place. So we've got the party infrastructure that's doing really good. People on the ground in every county is doing well. We've got folks looking at making sure that we have um, things that are happening. You know, Stacey Abrams and Fair Fight is going to be in Alabama. There are any number of groups that are both registering, re-registering, because that's something else we've got to do because of voter purging, and trying to get people engaged. Getting folks engaged is something that we're going to be focused on uh, in the next six or eight months, writing up until uh, November. I was there when I was there, and even at, since then, I've talked to different people down in Alabama. Uh, you got some folks down there who are mad at you, this whole deal with Joe Reed. Have y'all resolved that? Uh, because, again, I've heard from black folks who say, you know, oh, my goodness, you know, these things shouldn't be happening. But the bottom line is this here. This is about winning. It's about winning statewide. And Alabama, in many ways, is like my native Texas, where Republicans control all the statewide offices. At the end of the day, you got to put together a some kind of sensible coalition to get over the top. Well, you know, look, I have had nothing but good things to say about Dr. Reed and all the things he has done for the, the folks in Alabama. Uh, but the fact is, we needed a change in leadership. And I think that that, would, that change was evident yesterday when, you know, Joe Biden was able to come in there with only one endorsement from one group and win over 62 percent of the total vote in Alabama. So, you know, there's a lot of things that have been changed. 
But I think people are going to start rallying around now the party. Uh, we've got everything out of the way. Folks are excited about this Democratic Party. And I think if you look at what happened yesterday in, in Alabama, uh, even though Dr. Reed and his group did not endorse Joe Biden, they endorsed Mike Bloomberg. The fact is, there was a lot of excitement among the ADC folks that he represents, that Dr. Reed represents. There was a lot of excitement in the, uh, the African American community in general. Because, you know, it's just like Jim Clyburn said in South Carolina. You know, we know Joe in Alabama. He knows us. He speaks to us. He listens to us. And so that kind of transcends that. And I think after yesterday's vote, I think everybody's going to see that we've got some really major opportunities. We had 50,000 more people voting in our primary this year than they did in 2016. Uh, and that's a good sign, too. There's a lot of excitement rolling. I think we're going to all come together and get ready for November. I do have to ask you about the developments. Michael Bloomberg dropping out of the race. Joe Biden solidifying support. Elizabeth Warren is now deciding what she wants to do. I suspect by Thursday or Friday, she's going to drop out. You can't come in third place in Massachusetts where you're a senator. You can't come in fourth place in Oklahoma where you grew up and then fourth place in Texas where you went to college and somehow have a plausible path. Uh, and so going forward, you're likely going to have Biden versus Sanders. What do you see happening there? Can, can Sanders grow his base and can Biden run a much more structured, focused, energetic campaign? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that Senator Sanders has had trouble growing that base. I think we're seeing that in the numbers now where he didn't even perform as well in Vermont as he did in 2016. Uh, his supporters are very excited. They are, are, are loyal to him. Uh, but I think the fact of the matter is what you saw happen yesterday was Joe beginning to, to, to get the wind at his back, to solidify the vote. I mean, it, it, think about this. It was a really um, a, a amazing night when you can carry both Alabama and Texas and Tennessee, as well as the state of Massachusetts and Minnesota. That's a, that shows you the strength of a Biden, uh, of a Biden coalition, a diverse strength that, that he's got across the country. I believe he's going to do really well in the upcoming primaries. I think he's going to do real well in Florida. I think he'll do well in Michigan. That obviously, this is not over with yet, and I'm not saying that at all. But I think if I'm reading the tea leaves, I think that Joe Biden is going to be the nominee. I've said that all along, and I still believe it. And I think he'll end up being the president of the United States as well. All right. Senator Doug Jones of Alabama, we really appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. Look forward to having you back on Rollmart Unfiltered. Thank you, buddy. Always good to see you. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. As Senator Jones said, folks, last night Joe Biden won Alabama, Arkansas, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, and Virginia. Senator Bernie Sanders won California, Colorado, Utah, and Vermont. But when we say who won, folks, it also is different because if you get more than 15% of the vote statewide, you qualify for delegates. A lot of people were saying that Senator Bernie Sanders was going to be so far ahead that he was likely going to get the nomination after Super Tuesday. This is the delegate count as of right now. 566 for Biden, 501 for Sanders, and 61 for Elizabeth Warren. Let's break this down with our panel. Uh, Joseph Williams, he's a senior editor of U.S. News & World Report. We also have Dr. Wilmer Leon, host of Inside the Issues, and A. Scott Bolden, former chair of the National Bar Association Political Action Committee. Joseph, I want to start with you. Again, when you begin to break down uh, what happened, Joe Biden, in a, I mean, what happened in South Carolina, just vaulted uh, him ahead, opened the floodgates for endorsements. Uh, he won in places where he didn't even go. Okay, he was barely in Minnesota and Maine and won. Sanders went to Maine and Minnesota, had rallies, really thought he was going to win there. That says a whole lot 
about what the Democratic Party on Super Tuesday, how they felt, how they felt about Biden versus a Sanders for Biden to win in two places that people absolutely swore Sanders was going to win. In fact, you throw in Massachusetts. Sanders was leading in the polls in Massachusetts. He was one. Warren was two. Biden was three. It flips. Biden is one. Sanders two. Warren is three. That's right. Well, it was just an incredible night for Joe Biden. And once again, the trigger was South Carolina and the African-American vote. You look at the exit polls, black people went for Joe Biden almost overwhelmingly. It was very hard to see how the numbers were breaking for, for, for Bernie Sanders with the traditional black vote. And we're talking about uh, voters who are in the older demographics, let's say 30 and above, 30 and younger. Sanders did okay, but those aren't the people who tend to vote more frequently. So I think the black belt really catapulted him. He's depending on that. It was a wave. And in, inside the black belt, including Texas, where he was not projected to do very well, and places where he didn't, he didn't even campaign, he had no field office in Texas, he had no field office in Alabama, or practically anywhere because he was running on fumes, basically. So it was a really big night. And African-Americans are the engine that is propelling his campaign. And I think you'll see that going forward. But, Wilma, when you begin to also break this thing down, if you look at across the board, um, and that is, um, you have Joe Biden, who, who blows Sanders away among African-American voters, but he is extremely competitive in the other areas. Even though Sanders leads him when it comes to Latino voters, Biden is picking up a respectable number. You break down Biden picking up white voters, black voters, black, white voters, Latino voters, uh, African-American voters, that's a coalition. Uh, when Joseph talked about uh, this whole issue of uh, young voters, uh, Henry, go to uh, my iPad. This is the headline in USA Today. Many young voters set out Super Tuesday. Senator Sanders makes the argument, I can bring out young people. This is real simple. If you cannot bring out young people in a primary, show me the evidence of you able to bring them out in November. Well, I think we have a couple factors here. Uh, as Joseph was talking about, the, the age demographic is very important. When you throw in a lot of this discussion, which I think is, is, is kind of nonsensical, electability uh, is, is one thing. Can, who, and then this anybody but Trump mentality that kind of uh, takes this down into, it, it, it dilutes the, the analysis <clears throat> instead of really understanding what, what your interests are and who can best represent your interests. And what I think we're, we're really seeing play out here is, right now, is a class struggle, an intra-party class struggle uh, between the Democratic elites and the voting, the, 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 the basic voting base. Uh, that, that class struggle is being disguised as an ideological struggle between socialism, which Bernie Sanders is not, and capitalism. And so it's all getting lost in the sauce, and people are looking at who anybody but anybody but but Trump and and who and who can <clears throat> win. And in many instances, that electability question is not necessarily a mathematical calculation of who's gonna amass the most votes. It has more to do with assaulting the sensibilities of the Democratic elite. And that is really making a mess of the entire conversation. Does that Scott, mean but Dems, does, if I may, good. does that mean Dems, you're, you're, a better word would be the moderates and the conservative members of the part, Democratic Party that are far outnumber the far left, if you will, and far are more reliable voters as well? 
Uh, I'm sorry, what was your question? Well, you, you called them democratic elites, and right. I'm so saying, when, when we, when, I, I call them moderates and conservative democratic voters. I call them voters. No, well, yeah, I, they're a different I, no, class. They're, they're a different class. Yeah. No, no, here, go, go ahead. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about those who are actually running the party. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the Clintons, uh, Barack Obama, Nancy Pelosi, and looking at who they actually represent, on, particularly on the Wall Street side mm -hmm. of, the, of the equation. And they're fighting desperately, anybody but Bernie, because they're fighting desperately to protect what they perceive to be to be their interests. I mean, but 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 here's but here's the deal though. I think if you take into account what took place in South Carolina and beyond, what you're seeing from Democratic voters, that ain't the conversation. The debate for them is, can you beat that orange dude? And so and so and so and so. Here's the piece. I don't, I don't have any belief or sense that those voters in South Carolina, 65% black, 35% white, were factoring in, okay, what Hillary or Bill or no, Obama was saying. I said, and said I, I, Joe knows us and, 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 and we know well, Joe. Well, no, no, but, 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 but yeah, they, they, they were also factoring that in, but they were also factoring in, again, who they think could beat. But here's my point when you talk about, uh, like, Sanders' whole deal, Scott, he wants to run against the establishment, <clears> the elite. Go to my iPad. Uh, this was a breakdown in Texas. Sanders keeps making the argument that I can bring out people who don't vote, young people, I can bring out white males, all those things. Right. Here's the deal here. Blacks under 30, Sanders got 41%. Biden got 29. That is just a 12-point gap. Mm -hmm. Let's go to black voters 30 to 44. Biden, 49, Sanders, 27. That's a 22-point gap. Right. Now, we go 45 and older, that gap just gets boom. wider and wider and wider. Right. The point I'm making is this here, okay? For all the people out there who keep saying Sanders and the revolution, bitching and moaning and tweeting <laughs> does not equate with voting. And you can say, I mean, I, I had a dude on Twitter today, and he was like, you know, these boomers, they, I, they got one foot in the grave. And I said, and one foot in your ass at the polls. <laughs> My deal is you can keep... And one hand voting. Right. Well, and I'm, and I'm like, I'm like y'all can whine and complain mm -hmm. about older voters all day, but they vote. That's right. If 40% of the electorate is made up of millennials and Gen Z, you cannot... Rep if 40% of the total population in America are millennials and Gen Z, you can't have 13% 1830. Yeah. So it's mad. Bernie, so Bernie Sanders' biggest argument at his rallies is it's going to take a revolution. And, mm -hmm. and not only the people in the movement, that we're going to bring other people to the movement and we're going to slay who's in the White House right now. The problem with that is... Hold on one second. We've got to fix your mic. Something's up with your mic. So your mic, uh, your mic fell off. Oh, why, why are you fixing that? Uh, yeah, pull just. Come on, Kappa. Come on. Unbutton your damn coat. Stop trying to be all cute and pull your mic up. Now plug it up. Send now him, attach send it him to, a video, Ro. You need me to attach it to. Send yeah. him a video, Ro. I know. I can see. Here's a Kappa. I know. Now you better go ahead. My name is A. Scott Bolden. First of all, yeah, I'm Aloysius Kappa. Scott Bolden. Maybe. 
But but he's got <laughs> to bring close. those other voters, the the 45 and older, the black voters, and he simply hasn't been able to demonstrate. Super Tuesday demonstrated he hasn't gotten there yet. That's why he's behind in delegates. On Biden, South Carolina helped. But let me tell you something. He's a national Democrat. They know him in those mm -hmm. states he didn't campaign in, and they know him being the right hand of Barack Obama. Uh, the polling that, that, that Roland mentioned, Paul, he said it last night, Roland said this last night, and last night, Super Tuesday was a great example of this, that polls are snapshots in time. Because the majority of the voters, or at least 50% or more in a lot of those jurisdictions, right, when did they make up their mind to vote? Three days. Yeah. There were no reliable polls during that three many day 20, Many time. 24 hours. Exactly. And so these people saw South Carolina. He can win now. He just said he can win. We were always with him. We were looking for an alternative. And now he gave us one win. And then you had the majority whip. And now we're off and running. And ironically, I thought, thought that it perhaps may have broken too, too late, but it broke just right. Because all you had to do was go pull the lever, right? With, with, people with in Texas early voting. Five hours. We with, had a piece on here, five hours, they, five and a half hours. Well, actually, actually there's one brother. Uh, I, uh, let me know if y'all had that photo. MSNBC uh, interviewed it, the guy. Y'all, seven hours. He, yeah, seven hours uh, before he actually turned the get line and actually finally voting. Uh, and, and, and that's what you're dealing with. And that's um, anti You know, seven. That's why they no, understand. That's and, and here's, here's, the, here's right. the photo here. Here's the brother right here, y'all. Uh, this brother right here, uh, Hervis Rogers, yeah. seven hours uh, to vote. And, and, and let me go ahead and say this here, and I'm actually trying to talk to somebody who's there. A lot of people on social media talking about uh, Republicans closing down uh, uh, voting booths, uh, election um, locations in the South, which is true, mm -hmm. 1,200 in the last several years. But Democrats control Harris County, mm -hmm. Dallas County, Travis County. So here's what I think, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm personally calling some county officials in all three counties to say, what the hell happened last night right. with these long lines? Right. Here's what happened. On elections, you look at past patterns. You say, okay, right. what were the primary, primary numbers yep. in 2018, 2016, mm -hmm. 2012, 10, 8? So they said, okay, based upon these numbers, this is what turnout is going to be. That's exactly Take Virginia, right. for example. Mm -hmm. 762,000 or 782,000 people voted in Virginia in 2016. Not they, had the polling, they had the polling set up for the same number. Mm -hmm. 1.2 million voted last night. Okay. Folks, when 500,000 more people <laughs> vote than came last time, your ass gonna have a long line. Now, let me be clear. I am not providing an excuse for anybody. But what I am trying to say is if you use some common sense, if I go to a restaurant and I'm normally serving 100 people and I've got 20 tables to service 100 people and I look outside and there are 600 people standing outside, it's a good bet. You gonna run it's going to be a... No, or or you're going to run out of chicken <laughs> or you're going to run out of salad. <laughs> you're gonna, you, you, and you're going to have to wait to get in. Mm. So, Democrats in those counties had better be prepared, Joseph, in November for a massive turnout because if you saw record-breaking South Carolina, 532,000 people voted in South Carolina more than when Obama ran in 2008. And that is with mm -hmm. 
poles, poles being cut. That's with registrations being more difficult. And to stretch your, uh, your restaurant analogy a little further, not only are you going to run out of food, people know that what you're cooking is what they want to have. And that's what they want to order. And if I'm in the White House, I'm a little anxious about this. Uh, you absolutely. Did everything you everything you could to try to suppress turnout in these states, and yet you saw record turnout in Virginia. Record. Record turnout in South Carolina. And Virginia is smashed. It. Yeah, smashed absolutely. It like now. Now, of course, as a result of that, I told you about Elizabeth Warren. She only hit the 15% threshold in five out of 15 states last night. She is, she is examining her campaign. I don't see a path forward. Well, former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg hit th threshold five out of 15 states. Today, he said, I'm out and endorsed Biden. Now, today, I want to say how grateful I am to everyone who has been part of our team. And I want to thank you all from the bottom of my heart for your support, your work, and your votes. And I'm just telling you, the American public should be saying thank you to you as well. You really made history. You really did. No can yes, it's true. No campaign has ever accomplished as much as you did in such a short period of time. If you go back, we started at 1% in the polls. But yesterday, thanks to you, Nearly two million Americans cast their votes for our campaign. This really is the best, most creative, most hardworking campaign team ever assembled. And I have to say, there is no doubt in my mind we, wouldn't, we would have beaten Donald Trump in November. And you, know who you know, I was getting a kick out of them people say, I'm sure we would have beat the Donald Trump in November. Well, you couldn't beat Biden and Sanders and Warren uh, in March. Um, here's the thing. Uh, so, so Bloomberg endorses Joe Biden. Michael Bloomberg is a one-man political action committee. Uh, the, the reality is this. Um, I think we saw with what took place with Super Tuesday how Biden is winning, and he wasn't even up significantly with ads and infrastructure. If I'm Michael Bloomberg, or if I'm on that team advising Michael Bloomberg, what I am saying is, Mike, we can, we can run ads or whatever supporting Joe Biden, but we need to take $100 million and specifically target black and Latino groups who know how to get the vote out. Not, let me, let me just be as blunt as possible. Part of the problem, Wilmer, is that you have had these white-led organizations who do not know black people, who do not know Latinos, who do not, who can't have, who don't have no credibility going into those communities, overseeing these efforts and just sort of throwing a few dollars out at these groups. No, you gotta be able to say, y'all know how to turn folks out, we're gonna fund your efforts, and I can tell you, even though Black Voters Matter is a nonpartisan group, look, far more resources that they need. They're doing a hell of a job with what they're doing. You take Dewana uh, out of Alabama with be with, with, with be woke, same thing. You take their number of other people out there. You take look, we're gonna have to talk to Melanie Campbell in just a second of mm -hmm. uh, the National Coalition of yep. Black Civic Participation. Yep. Bottom line is. Uh, Michael Bloomberg should absolutely say to uh, Melanie's group, boom, you know what? Look, forget walking around trying to talk to everybody. Ten million, here you go. Because that a ground game is what is going to defeat Donald Trump.
Minister Farrakhan once said, never underestimate the blindness that attends arrogance. And what, <laughs> what you're seeing with, with, with what you just laid out is you're asking white, white folks on the political scene to realize that there may be something they don't know. And that then you're asking them to put money behind what you're telling them that they don't know. And you're, and you're telling them you need to allow po folks in the African-American community to explain something to you that you don't know. And now, what was interesting to me about a lot of Bloomberg commercials was they were targeted to the African-American community. Hmm. It, it was apparent to me that Bloomberg understood going in yeah. that he needed to be sure that the African-American community was comfortable with him. And with him. As, as he had to face the stop and frisk and the, and the redlining issues and, and other issues that were not going to make him that appealing to the African-American community. So it seems to me that Bloomberg does, he himself and those that were surrounding him, did have an understanding uh, of who some of his target audience needs to be. The question is, which you're getting to, are they willing to put money behind it and allow us to tell them what it is they need to do. And, and Scott, what I'm going to need is, and I'm going to say this, and let me be real clear, y'all. I fundamentally believe that if you're an African-American out there and if you have five bucks or 10 bucks or 20 bucks or 50 bucks, I believe that you also should, should be supporting these organizations where we are having black-led get-out-the-vote efforts, where you have African-Americans running organizations who are making those decisions on where resources go. But this is also where African-Americans of means come in as well. Because let's just be clear, when you look at a Sheldon Adelson, a Sheldon, Sheldon Adelson uh, casino magnet, he'll sit there and say, okay, I'm gonna drop $200 million this year uh, on the Republican uh, various campaigns. Mm -hmm. Koch brothers and will say, yeah, we're going to do four. Well, actually, one of them is now deceased. Uh, but we're going to do $400 million. They're put together their whole network of rich billionaires, rich white Republican billionaires. Mm -hmm. We're going to do a billion. This is, this is also where you're going to need African-Americans uh, with money. Bob Johnson, Robert Smith, Oprah, uh, other people, other individuals. Sheila Johnson. Who are, Sheila Johnson, other individuals who are worth four and five hundred and six hundred and seven hundred million. Uh, Michael Jordan, Jay-Z. I can go down the line mm -hmm. to begin to say, oh, yeah, here's five million. Here's ten million. Collectively, going to put together hundred million to have black-led efforts. Otherwise, we're left in the same position of, frankly, going to ask white folks, can we? And that hasn't worked. And I don't think it's their ignorance, because the DNC... Uh, no, I said it, arrogance. It, it's arrogance, but it... it but, I didn't but, say ignorance, I said arrogance. No, I, I know what you said, but I thought you used later in your presentation something about them not knowing or educating them in some way, like Bloomberg. The DNC has practiced what you just, what Roland just described for, for decades, if you will, where, where Clinton wanted, uh, did not put money in the black community, uh, had people that didn't look like us walking around handing out some crumbs, if you will. Um, you know, what, I asked this question on Twitter earlier today. What does Joe Biden and the DNC owe black America? And what... Irving. What debt, yep. what debt <laughs> is owed to Irving. Irving? And what do we want? Because this is a broader concept. What do we want? Irving. Because we, black 
American Democratic voters and the majority whip, Jim Clyburn, saved the Democratic Party, saved Biden, and perhaps saved our ability to beat Donald Trump, which is the number one priority. How do we have that discussion about not only what we want, but what the Dems owe black America? One of the things that they've got to, has got to be on that list is investment in the black press, investment in African-American-based consultants and pollsters so they can fully participate in the economics of this general election and these primary elections, which historically we have been blocked out, at least to a significant degree. It's called the, I call it the economics of politics. But we've got to demand that, package it, and sell that as one voice. And what is it that we want? Because we are certainly owed right now. But we, we go, certainly but, we, but we go to these conventions, we go to these meetings, mm -hmm. people with expertise in a lot of the areas that you're talking about, mm -hmm. they appeal to those that are in charge of yes. letting contracts, mm -hmm. and they... All Silence. of that falls upon deaf ears. Yeah. And because when the when it comes down to distributing the funds and the money so that folks can get some contracts, for some reason, we whether it's whether it's media, some reason. <laughs> whether it's whether it's media, Holsters, we lawyers, whether it's where, where right, use? all of a sudden right. we're not good enough. Well, we haven't been there long again, enough. I'm go, I'm, and this is what I'm, I'm saying. I'm the dynamic has changed. But, there's now. A, but, but we got to exploit it now. Hold on, hold on, stop, stop. First of all, there's a difference between have, saying what are you demanding of a party. Again, the problem with that is. You're asking a party to do this when right now there's still no nominee. What I am saying is, you look at Tom Steyer, the organization that he put together, the impact they played in 2018 uh, in terms of being able to fund various initiatives, the amount of money he put in Andrew Gillen's race and others. What I'm saying is, what, what, what Democrats need, Democrats need wealthy donors who have the same mentality as Republican wealthy donors who say, we're not even worried about the party. Right. We have created our own infrastructure that can do this. What I am arguing is to those people who have created this other infrastructure, they need to be saying, we are absolutely going to be funding and targeting these black groups because we need to be able to fund them in Wisconsin in Michigan, Pennsylvania. in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. in North Carolina, Ohio. in Florida, in those places, in order to be able to be effective. So I'm not making a party argument. Mm -hmm. What I am saying is, because the party right now can't do jack, because the party is like, you, you're still dealing with who's going to be the nominee. What I'm saying is, while they are fighting that, you have these independent interests who don't have to worry about the party who, who should be thinking about it now because historically what happens is the party waits until after the nominee, after the convention, after August. You not late. only left yourself a two-month window. I'm saying it's March. Those resources, Joseph, must be spent now uh, seeding the ground so it's fertile because first you got to identify them. Then you got to talk to them. Then you got to register them. Then you got to have another system that gets them to the polls in November. It's a four-pronged step. That's exactly right. And you're talking about enough lead-up time where you can do that ineffectively.
by the time the polls open in November and you get people on board, because it is going to be crucial. Make no mistake. It's going to be crucial in those swing states. The black vote is going to be crucial in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, and on down the line. You mean beyond and, the South? And and yeah, beyond absolutely. the South, absolutely. And, and, because and, because because you got to be looking. You got to look at Arizona. Okay, how are you going to go after uh, Latinos to increase the turnout? See, see, part of the problem here, with Wilmer. Whenever you watch these cable news, they're talking about percentages. No, no, no. The issue is not percentages. It's how many in the percentage. I mean, you can say you turned out ninety-six percent of black women of ten people. Right. So, the, so, the, so, so again, if you are on the Democratic side and you want Mark Kelly to become the United, next United States senator and beat Miss Sally, you've got to turn out more Latinos in Arizona. If you're talking about how are you going to get Hickenlooper uh, in Colorado, you got to turn out your base voter. And that means stop trying to spend money trying to go after suburban white women who are conservative. No, turn out the very people. You, you, you can spend fewer dollars with the person who's more likely to vote for you than to spend all this money with somebody who probably in the end is still not going to vote for you. To your earlier point about w those within our community of means putting money in, inside people versus outside people, what are their interests? And what you may find with a lot of those individuals that you're referencing is that they don't see the investment that you're talking about really to be in their interest. They're, in many instances, going along with the status quo because the status quo has served them and their interests quite Quite well, well. well, actually, some have because, Quite of the fact, well. because, first of all, the Black Economic Alliance, after in, in, in the last election, saw there needed to be, and I, and I, I talked to them, they, they said there needed to be an, an actual entity that was taking, the, where all these African Americans who are in corporate America and other places mm -hmm. were giving money to individual candidates and campaigns. But then they said, no, wait, hold up. Right. We need to have an entity that's representing black interests. So they created the Black Economic Alliance for that very reason. The problem before that was, there was no entity set up. What I am saying is you have right now, whether it's them, whether it's grassroots organizations that are set up and established to do this very work that, ha that should be funded. You're absolutely Un right. Unfortunately, what happens, historically has happened is they have withered on the vine because... They haven't been funded. Because, because, because before they were waiting on campaign dollars. Right. And what I'm saying is now what you have is the game has totally changed, right. and it actually changed really after Obama. Because when the amount of money that he raised, remember, he didn't take public, uh, public money. So now the game has changed. So now what I'm saying is this external ent these external entities don't have to be bound by the same stuff. Hillary Clinton was sitting on $65 million. Uh, black folks went to her trying to uh, say, look, you got to put this money in. And they were like, we're not going to give you anything. But I know for a fact... And then on they that, lost I know for a fact on the Friday before the election, they were trying to figure out where they could throw money at any black right. entity. And it was like, boom, the election is Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Had you done this a month or two months ago, it would have paid off. I'm saying we're in March. That's what we have to do. Final comment before I bring my next group. Well, uh, if I may, uh, this, this private investment also works. This concept, those four steps, works from those very significant people who have lots of money because a lot of the, the individuals or the organizations that you named, they're nonprofits. They may be, they, they may not, uh, have, they're not Democratic or Republican. And so if you invest in them, you get a tax break. 
That's got to be more attractive than just spending political money. And you spend political money as well. Absolutely. They have to have a social consciousness, though. You see, Hence, new money, my point money. about the interest. A, well, right, but a there social are... consciousness to do this because it is a valued decision that this president not be reelected, and that you want to invest in that. Got it. So you got the people. You you got the candidates. Final comment. Done Final that. comment. Um, basically, the the thing that struck out to me when you're describing this is down ballot. I mean, you're talking oh, about yeah. getting getting. You know, this is how you keep... Focus on those races. This is how you keep the Senate. This is how you keep the House. This right. is how you make gains in, rever in reversing voter discrimination and voter New access rules. Absolutely. All right, folks, got to go to a break and come back. <laughs> We're going to talk about black women and what is going to happen with them when it comes to this 2020 election. That's next. Roller Martin Unfiltered. Back in a moment. To me, there are no greater patriots in America's long history than the black citizens who are willing to die for a nation that was denying them their rights. Mike Bloomberg is the only Democratic presidential candidate that has a real plan to fight for those sacrifices that have been taken for granted for far too long. And I've got to think it was in hopes that their service and sacrifice might redeem those rights for their children and grandchildren. Introducing the Greenwood Initiative, a bold new plan to help black Americans create generational wealth. One, we will help a million more black families buy a house. Two, we will double the number of black-owned businesses. Three, we will help black families triple their wealth over the next 10 years to an all-time high. Mike will get it done. Visit MikeForBlackAmerica.com to learn more. They are concrete proposals that we can afford and that we can get done, and we will. I'm Mike Bloomberg, and I approve this message. Paid for by Mike Bloomberg 2020. You want to check out Roland Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. So a lot of y'all always asking me about terms some of the pocket squares that I wear. Now, I don't know. Robert don't have one on. Now, I don't particularly like the white pocket squares. I don't like even the silk ones. And so I was reading GQ magazine a number of years ago, and I saw uh, this guy who had this, this pocket square here, and it looks like a flower. Uh, this is called a shibori pocket square. This is how the Japanese manipulate the fabric to create this sort of flower effect. So I'm going to take it out and then place it in my hand so you see what it looks like. And I said, man, this is pretty cool. And so I tracked down, the. it took me a year to find a company that did it. Uh, and so uh, they make these about 47 different colors. And so I love them because, again, as men, we don't have many accessories to wear. So we don't have many options. Uh, and so this is really a pretty cool uh, pocket screen. And what I love about this here is you saw uh, when it's uh, in, in the pocket, you know, it gives you that flower effect like that but if I wanted to also unlike other because if I flip it and turn it over it actually gives me a different type of texture and so therefore it gives me a different look so there you go so uh, if you actually want to uh, get one of these shibori pocket squares we have them in 47 different colors all you got to do is go to rollingthismartin.com forward slash pocket squares so it's rollingthismartin.com 
forward slash pocket squares. All you got to do is go to my website uh, and you can actually uh, get this. Now, for those of you who are members of our Bring the Funk fan club, there's a discount for you to get our pocket squares. That's why you also got to be a part of our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, and so that's what we want you to do. And so it's pretty cool. So if you want to jazz your look up, you can do that. In addition, uh, y'all see me with some of the feather pocket squares. My sister who is a designer. She actually makes these. They're all custom made. So when you also go to the website, you can also order one of the customized uh, feather pocket squares uh, right there at rollingsmartin.com forward slash pocket squares. So please do so. And of course, uh, that goes to support the show. And again, if you're a Bring the Funk fan club member, you get a discount. This is why you should join the fan club. All right, y'all. Black women have proven to be one of the most powerful and influential voting blocs in the country. Yet still, black women face numerous challenges. A new report released this morning looks at those challenges. Joining me now to talk about that, the authors of the report, Melanie Campbell. She's president and CEO of the National Coalition of Black Civic Participation and convener of the Black Women's Roundtable, and Dr. Avis Jones-Weaver, senior public policy advisor for the Black Women's Roundtable. All right, so what does your report say? Well, we started off this morning. Thank you, Roland. Um, we started off this morning... Um, where we did an analysis of what just happened in South Carolina right, last right. night. And, and the fact that uh, the black vote turned out the way it did um, and, the, and it created a blue wave and, and shifted all, and, uh, what all was said by the pundits. And we were in South Carolina uh, and Alabama for Selma uh, uh, Sunday, and so you felt the energy... Uh, uh, shifting on the ground. We were together in, in South Carolina. And so we know when you're talking about the shifting of the, of the black vote and the increase, black women are the ones who, who, are, who are driving that vote. And so we know the importance uh, of that vote. And we also know that uh, there is no such thing as someone who is trying to get the Democratic nomination winning without the South, mm -hmm. right, and winning, and winning the black vote to get there. And if you win the black vote, means you that black women overperform by also not just turning up, but engaging in um, making sure that our significant others, our community, and our family turns out because we influence uh, our families to vote. But Avis, what do they want? What are they saying that they want? Mm -hmm. So this was really interesting. We took a look into uh, some exit polls around that across all the different states. And we know from, you know, we've been hearing about the large turnout among the black community, but we have not talked a lot about what those voters wanted. So I specifically looked at this question about which issue mattered most to your vote. And what I found was a very interesting relationship. So for example, uh, among Biden voters, in every state, the majority of them said that their most important issue was race relations. Among Saunders voters, among and every state, their least important issue was race relations. And the di various different options that were on that survey were race relations, health care, climate change, uh, income inequality. But we saw a huge divergence between the Obama, the Obama, good Lord, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> the Biden voters, uh, as well as the uh, Bernie voters around this issues of race. Uh, it's very important, apparently, to Biden voters, but not important at all, comparatively speaking, to Sanders voters. Melanie, and, and moving forward, how does this inform what, what they should be talking about? If you were Sanders, uh, I've made the point that Sanders is going to have to recalibrate his message. Uh, he does not do well with African-Americans 45 and over. Right. Bottom line is that is the heart of black female turnout. Mm -hmm. uh, and he has not shown a penchant to recalibrate. Right. 
I mean, just not showing up in Selma is an example of that. You know, every candidate that was still in the race, even even one that got out of the race, uh, Tom Steyer showed up in Selma. The history of what that means, and you're running for president uh, in, in a time when voting rights are under attack, uh, when you had four days to show up. So that was part of what you were hearing on the ground uh, in Alabama. Like, you know, when you realize, oh, Senator Sanders didn't show up. Uh, so what does that say to black folks? So um, the other, I, I don't know. I'm just going to be frank. I don't know what he can do to shift that when it comes to, I think a lot of this is baked in now. Um, I think he, he's been running. He ran four years ago. He had four years to get ready for this election. He had four years to, 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 to build a relationship in, in, the, in the black community, to, to have black women feel, black men, at, you know, as well as we always talk about, it's all of us. And the reality is, I don't see that. I also know that a lot of millennials who, that I've spoken to uh, who were Bernie Burn in 2016 are not that now. One, they had a lot more choices, but they also, uh, he's not giving them the belief that what he's saying he can do. That's what I've been giving. And so I don't know that he can do anything. But you do have Avis. Uh, Biden also has some work to do mm -hmm. uh, where he is, mo he is, is weak is among 18 to 30. Right. He still has to figure out a message that resonates with them uh, because, look, they are going to need uh, as many votes as possible. Look, Hillary Clinton got three million more votes than uh, Trump did, uh, she, but he still lost in those three critical states, mm -hmm. Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, by 78,000 votes. Uh, and so Biden also has the work to do as well. Well, what does your data show about black women who are in that 1830, 1835 group? Well, we have done surveys on that in the past, and uh, we've definitely seen that they are not as attracted to Biden as they are uh, to Bernie. Uh, but here's the challenge overall with the electorate, as we've seen in this, uh, in the primary season and many, many seasons before, that age demographic just does not show up at the polls to anywhere near the degree as older age demographics. Even after uh, Bernie has said that he's going to have this big surge, he's going to inspire this big surge, we haven't seen any evidence of that. The surge that we've seen is the surge around voting against him. And so uh, you're right, both candidates have work to do. No one should uh, leave any votes on the table. But if I had to choose about which constituency is most critical in terms of turning the dial on the election, it's really maximizing <coughs> the black vote specifically. Melanie, when you announced the unity campaign uh, a couple weeks ago, mm -hmm. you talked about the young folks who are involved with that. Um, that. That still, bottom line is, somebody has to figure out how to get them to understand yeah. you have to vote your power. Yeah. Uh, and I've had a, all kind of folks have been tweeting me today, complaining about older voters, y'all are hurting us in the future. And I'm going, I'm sorry, if you don't care enough about your future to show up, to show up and vote today, to yes. I'm sorry, no one's going to pay know, attention to you. You have to show up. And you have to show up. I've been voting since I turned 18, right? And so I have to vote when I don't want to vote. So it's also creating the culture of voting and voting even when there's somebody that you, you may not have all the choices because if you don't vote, you don't count. And so I think part of what we're attempting to do with the unity campaign is have young people encourage other young people. Peer-to-peer -peer does work. Um, but at the end of the day, um, there's a large, the largest uh, growing vote are millennials, right? That's what I won't keep saying, but you gotta show up. And, I, and, and my thing is, it doesn't have to be Biden, it could be, it could be Sanders, it could be whoever. But if you don't show up, then whoever shows up, that's, you know, that's how the vote works. <laughs> and so complaining about who showed up is a waste of time. 
and 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 I and I'm and I'm the best advocate for young people's leadership. But at the same time, you have to keep it real. And keep it real is if you don't show up. You had the opportunity to show up. Nothing was blocking you from showing up. Yes, we had voter suppression, don't get me wrong, but at the end, because that's still election protection needs, but there's also the need to show up. And focus on who you want, not, you know, because you spend all your time talking about who you don't want, who you don't like. Okay, fine. Then organize yourselves around that. There was no reason that young people couldn't have shown up. They, yeah. He was he didn't inspire black youth. And I believe when the numbers fair it out. Look, in South Carolina, when, we were, when I was on the ground, I was talking to millennials. They were voting for Biden. Yeah. I was surprised based on what had happened four years ago. And so just in having conversations in, in, in the Uber or a taxi, you're talking to young people who are like, this one sister, she talked to me all the way from North, North Charleston back to downtown Charleston. And she said, and she was giving me her reasons. I didn't ask her, you know, wouldn't get in her business. She wanted to share when she found out what we were in town for. So that's, that's the other part of it. And at our town hall, uh, that you partnered with us all, you know, a lot of young women were there. Yeah. People were focusing on the concerns. Who do they feel is going to beat this current president? Not that I'm advocating that. I'm not partisan. I'm just saying the, the facts. And also, who's going to address the, the issues? The, the poll that we did with Essence is still real. It keeps showing up. Yeah. Race, the last two years, racism and hate crimes is the number one issue for black people. Uh, right? Yeah. You know? yeah. And so if you're not addressing that, Right, in a way that says you have solution, then yeah. we're not going to show up. Or if you don't stop erasing race. Black folks are strategic about our vote. Exactly. Mm -hmm. you know, you know, and so the reality is, and the influence of, of someone like Jim Clyburn to watch that play out in South Carolina, because um, I'm a political, you know, I, you know, geek out on politics, right, was really interesting to watch in that prep breakfast that Reverend Sharpton hosted to see the dynamics of politics play out. Who stayed? Who was there just to come in and come out? Who just ran down platitudes that what you thought black people wanted to hear as opposed to, we can feel you. Are you real or are you just talking? Mm. All right. Where can people go see the report? Uh, they can go to uh, our ncbcp.org <laughs> website. Uh, it's about to be oh, ncbcp.org website. Okay. To see the report. All right. I Thank appreciate you. it. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks. Uh, going to a break. We'll be back at Walmart Unfiltered in a moment. Mike Bloomberg is the only Democratic presidential candidate that has a real plan for black youth in education. It's called the Greenwood Initiative. We'll make public college tuition free for all low-income students. We'll forgive college loans for students who were exploited by failed for-profit colleges. Mike knows investing in our teachers is investing in our children. We'll also recruit more black and Latino teachers as we did in New York City, because studies show they can make all the difference. And we'll also invest much more in heavily historically black colleges and universities, because many of the HBCUs are struggling. And the first step to achieving generational wealth is taken in the classroom. We'll incentivize state and localities to create financial literacy classes. Mike will get it done. Visit MikeForBlackAmerica.com to learn more. They're concrete proposals that we can afford and that we can get done, and we will. I'm Mike Bloomberg, and I approve this message. Paid for by Mike Bloomberg 2020. Hey, fam, want to check out Rollerbart Unfiltered, the blackest show on all of digital, cable, and broadcast. Check out our audio podcast. 
There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. Press play. You want to support Roller March Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to rollermartinunfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. rollermartinunfiltered.com. You want to support Roller March Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. As Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to rollermartinunfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. rollermartinunfiltered.com. All right, folks, I talked about uh, Elizabeth Warren making her decision whether she is going to stay in, drop out. Uh, Joseph, it's real simple. If you lose your home state of Massachusetts and you come in third place, if you come in fourth place in the state where you grew up, Oklahoma, and you come in fourth place with the state where you went to college, which is Texas, she went to the University of Houston, I'm sorry, I, there's no plausible reason for you to stay in. She's also sitting United States Senator. Now the question, though, is, who does she endorse? That is exactly right. That's the only question of fact. There's no path forward for her. I think she understands that as well. And the question is, does she go with Biden because she has some ties to the Obama administration and, as you mentioned, is a sitting United States senator? Or does she go with Bernie, who she aligns with more on policy issues regarding wealth and inequality? I mean, it's a very interesting choice, I think, is going to be. But I really have no insight about which way she's going to go. I mean, they both have very much appeal. But... She, her, vo or her voice is probably going to be courted quite a bit, and it probably is being courted quite a bit by both camps because it could have a potential impact. It's a 50-50 piece, though, right? I mean, she's got the policy chops. She's got Bernie's uh, progressiveness. But, but she also, in regard to some of her policies, uh, she was at one point trying to take Biden and Buttigieg's uh, voters from them. So I predict, <laughs> this is always dangerous, I predict she waits. I think she gets out because there's no path forward, right? And the endorsement comes with a perhaps a speaking engagement at the DNC in Milwaukee where she endorses then. Because there's really no upside for her because she's kind of in no man's land between Biden and Bernie. And uh, it's fraught with peril. But that said, she could probably negotiate for something. A position, treasury Inherent in my statement was... Yeah, yeah, but, but, here's, but here's, here's a piece, though. Okay, and so I know some people out there, they're trying to make the argument that um, that, that she should stay in Wilmer, that she should uh, keep making her arguments when it comes to the important issues. And look, she on issues of race, she's been far stronger than everybody else, and collect delegates. But I go back to the threshold. Mm -hmm. Last night, there were 15 states. Mm -hmm. uh, she got, last night, out of those 15 states, uh, she got five of those states. But here's the problem with five of those states. She got barely 15% in three of the five. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for you to say, I'm going to stay in to collect delegates when you barely collect delegates. delegates. And now moving forward, you're going to be even more of an afterthought. I think the reason that we're having this conversation or part of the reason that we're having this conversation goes back to part of what her problem has been throughout her campaign. Who is she and what does she stand for? 
Yeah, what lane? What lane does she fill? Because when she first came on the scene, she was trying to be more Bernie than Bernie. And then when she realized that there were that that was fraught with difficulty, then she tried to modulate back and be a little more status quo, a little more mainstream. Mm -hmm. And that's when she started getting caught on, well, what do you mean when you start talking about your 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 medical plan? What do you mean? when you start talking, you know, so... How much does it cost? And how much does it cost? <laughs> she started having problems with that because she she was kind of caught in no in no woman's land. Mm -hmm. So uh, so I think that's, that's a big reason why we're having this conversation now because we don't really know what lane she's now gonna, gonna change but, into. So why do you think she never caught on? Why do you think that a, 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 Be, because a, a, an elected official who's got the policy chops, she's clearly the smartest let me, let and me, most articulate, how come she never Be, caught on? Well, let, me, let me try and answer your question in the converse. One of the reasons why I think Bernie has made it to the point that he's made is because he's been consistent since he's With been running. Message, you know what Bernie stands for. And there's not a mystery and, and I don't say this as an endorsement of Bernie Sanders. I, I'm just trying to objectively mm -hmm. answer your mm -hmm. question. Mm -hmm. uh, and so a part of, with Elizabeth Warren, uh, she's tried to create a narrative for herself that her history doesn't necessarily support. Mm -hmm. And then she's, tr she's vacillated between lanes, and it's been hard for people to understand, what are you about? Actually, I don't think that's, what, that's the case. What do you think? I think it's very simple. Joseph Elizabeth Warren ran at the wrong time. Uh, you see Elizabeth you see. Warren was at her hottest in 2016. Mm -hmm. She fell for the, it's Hillary's turn. She didn't run. She was at her peak. What she did is, you then, burnt, Sanders runs against uh, Clinton. He now feels that space, that very progressive space, which she was in. He now goes from 16 to 20, has four years to build an infrastructure, to build this whole team. So then when he runs in 2020, he, he has our revolution. They're already there. He has the fundraising mechanism. All those things were in place. He easily transfers. But he was she, there then, too. He no, was no, there no, in 16. No, 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 no. But he did not have an infrastructure. That's right. Didn't oh, have it. it no, no, no. Everybody, no, she, no it, it had to be built. So had she run... I fundamentally believe, had Warren run in 16, she would have been stronger than, uh, on, the, on the progressive issues than Clinton. She, she would have been a more palatable alternative because she was connecting. She connected in a different way in 16. You also got to remember, that was an external group that had a draft Elizabeth Warren campaign. Mm -hmm. They had already raised money. They had signed up people. It was sitting there. But she waited. And what she did is, by waiting... You allowed Sanders to create this, this, this whole infrastructure, and so now you're running behind the eight ball. Now, Joseph, when you run in 2020, you're now, you're not the hot progressive, you're now second. And so mm -hmm. she was the second choice to significant number of Bernie Sanders of, uh, voters, but he was the first choice. He was the original. He's the original. She's, the, you know, she's exactly. classic Coke or whatever. But the, the, the other problem is that she had... A, a clear opportunity and a narrative, I think, that was kind of muddled in this situation. I mean, she did have... If you, you mean if, during this campaign? Well, in, during this campaign. Yeah. If you look at her life story, I mean, you know, high school dropout, you know, came up poor, 
you know, married at 18 or 16 at a very young age, children trying to support herself. That is a narrative that people can get behind. Mm -hmm. But if you have Bernie Sanders filling the vacuum and taking up all the progressive space with a stronger organization, mind you, she caught fire for a while, but that organization really does matter. And, and when you factor all of that in, the other difficulty, which, which she still had to deal with, uh, was the erasure of campaign uh, that existed. You had where NBC did a poll and you did a head-to-head, -head, and she wasn't even included, and she's sitting there in the race uh, after Iowa, New Hampshire. But the other thing is this here, when you talk about uh, decisions that you make, she hires these Obama and Clinton campaign operatives who tell her this unity message. Okay, you don't mm. get to the unity message until you end the nomination. You got exactly. to be fighting in the whole deal. Right. And so then she, she then repositions herself. What lane does the, she the, fill? And then what happens is she does, and here's the other piece. She's a fierce debater. Nevada debate, killed it. New Hampshire debate, killed it. But it was too late. And that's what happened there. Speaking of too late, folks, we don't want many of you to be too late when it comes to the United States census. Every 10 years, of course, the U.S. Constitution requires an accurate count of the nation's populations. Now, African-Americans, Latinos, and others have been historically underrepresented in the count. Now, most people don't realize how important their participation is in this process. Joining us right now is Michael Cook, Sr. He is chief of the Public Information Office of the U.S. Census Bureau. Uh, Michael, glad to have you. First and foremost, uh, if you had to compare this census to previous years. How does it stack up in terms of the resources being provided uh, to find people, target people, and get them out uh, to be counted? Thanks for having me, first of all. On a whole, I would say that compared to 2010, the 2020 census is new in the sense that we're asking people to respond not only online, by phone, but also by mail. And we have a three-pronged approach where we know through the decades, it's about trusted voices and it's about our partners and taking that message to the people. And so I'm here today to let people know that back in 2010, when we conducted the 2020, 2010 census, there was an undercount of the black population, around 2%. <coughs> the undercount for black males, 18 to 29, was 5.9%. For males across the board, 18 to 29, it was 1.2 percent. So we call it the differential undercount. So at the end of the day, it's about us spreading the word about the importance of responding to the census. It only happens every year that ends in a zero, every 10 years. But it's an impactful and important <coughs> census because it counts everybody once, only once, and in the right place. And it's about power and it's about money. It's about representation in the seats of Congress, but also it's about that billions of dollars that flow down to the local level every year. But how do you measure your undercount? Those are very specific percentages. Hold on, hold on. Before you get to mm -hmm. measuring, I'm going to go back to resources. How are you allocating the dollars? What are the entities that are out there? How are you reaching people? Are you reaching them through ra black radio, black TV, black digital? I mean, what's that apparatus? What's the, pro I don't know, that process. Before I get to how you count mm -hmm. them, mm -hmm. I want to know what is your outreach plan? We have a paid media campaign, which is actually greater than it was last decade when it comes to the black audience, the spend, if you will. Um, we're reaching them through TV, digital as well. And who's um, managing that? Who's managing right, it? Right, right. Who's the entity managing that? We have a, a group called Team Y&R okay. um, that has, they are basically the contractor, and then we have multicultural agencies underneath them. Who? So 
Who's the who's the more than culture agencies? We have um, Carol H. Williams for the black audience. Um, there are ads that are hitting the streets now that you will see that'll resonate with the black audience. We talk about the black audience. Sometimes people think that you know whether you're black or brown, you're monolithic. We we have seen that people want to be reached on the channel that they're reached on. So we have an initiative, <coughs> and we worked. We just got back from Atlanta last week. And working with V103, they're launching a Caribbean station because we know that all black people that might look like me are from different places. And so depending upon who you are and where you sit and the, and the medium that you receive, you will get a message from us. You will be hit. Our paid media campaign will reach 99% of the population. Mm. On top of that, we have partnerships across the country, thousands of partners that are taking the message to people. We have a faith initiative. We have a statistics and schools initiative as well, knowing that in addition to the black males being undercounted, kids aged zero to five have been historically undercounted since the first census back in 1790. So we want to make sure that we get people the word out that you need to count everybody. You're going to be invited to respond to the 2020 census on uh, March 12th. Invitations start hitting people's mailboxes. When they hit your mailbox, you'll be asked in a letter to go online and respond online. If you have any questions, you can call a toll-free number and respond that way as well. But we ask for everybody to fill out the form, for everybody that lives in the household, for those that are related to you, for those that aren't related to you, they should be counted. You want to talk about measurement now? Yes, go ahead. Okay, so those are specific undercounts. And every 10 years, we know that there's undercounting. What goes into that measure of the undercount, and how do you improve on that, especially with people of color or, I'm sorry, black people? We have a post-enumeration survey. Um, the Census Bureau, being a statistical agency, we conduct our work openly, mm -hmm. um, and we welcome people to look at what we do and how we do it. So in working with um, advisory committees, people that we lean on that are from communities throughout the country, they have advised us mm -hmm. that, hey, if you're going to touch the black or African-American community, you need to touch them in a specific type of way. Uh, there's research that we did. We did, back in 2018, it's called the Census Bureau's Attitudes and Motivator Study. We surveyed 50,000 households across the country, but we also did focus groups across the country to delve into what motivated or prevented somebody from responding to the census. And when you talk about the black or African-American community, obviously, um, it's about looking at the fact that historically, when the government is involved in asking me to do something, I'm questioning what are the motives and is it true what they're telling me? And so it's about fear, being fearful and not trusting us. And so that's when it comes to us working with um, trusted voices and distilling those myths and saying, look, this is an Article One of Section 2 of the Constitution. It has to happen every year that ends in zero. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, Title 13 of the U.S. Code is what we operate under. The Patriot Act, right. we stood up to that. The Supreme Court has been held up. Mm -hmm. The statistics, the information that we get from people, the personal identifiable information, can't be shared with anybody. It won't. There's an oath that I take for life. Mm -hmm. Everybody else that works at the Census mm -hmm. Bureau takes for life up to $250,000, five years in prison. So if someone asks to see something that, and they're not supposed to see it, they can't see it. Uh, Wilmer. We understand to a great degree representation in dollars, <clears throat> but could you be a little more specific for maybe some of those who are on a more grassroots level that really don't understand the practical applications of the census and when you talk about dollars flowing, the, flowing to the community, how? 
those those dollars that flow to the community are federal funds that um, are indicative of an accurate and complete count. So when you look at things like SNAP, when you look at Title I grants, when you look at the funding that reaches to the, um, to the before and after care programs at schools, um, those are the types of things, um, roads, emergency, social services. Um, fire often, stations. Fire stations. We often say that, you know, when you talk about the census, and this year it coincides with, with the vote, and you say that, hey, it's our, it's our right to vote. We've earned our right to vote. Um, if you go back and look at history... In 1790, people that looked like me weren't, didn't actually, weren't one whole count. They were three-fifths of a, of, a, of a man. So when you look at the census, it's important for us to tell people that it's your right to be counted because the federal funds that have been allocated for people that look like you, they only get to you when you're accounted. And, you, and it's once every 10 years. So it's very important. Uh, Joseph, final so, question. So... You talked about how uh, <clears throat> black males are undercounted traditionally. And, and also, to circle back, that's a very important message because I know some people who actually do fear that this is a government intrusion and that this is the reason why the government's trying to spy on us, et cetera. It's a very difficult message to crack. Uh, but I want to get your opinion about why these undercounts are happening and if the, uh, if the message of the, the Trump administration trying to subvert the census and trying to reduce the amount of money that's been set aside for advertising... How do you, first, why, were, why did the undercounts happen? And second, is this enough to overcome what the administration is trying to do to trip up? The lack of knowledge was the number one indicator. When you think of 18 to 29 and you deduct 10 years what from that. What does that mean, though, lack of knowledge? If I'm 18 or 29 and I'm being asked to do something, 10 years prior, I was 8 years old. 10 years prior, I was 19 years old. I wasn't participating in the census. Either my parents were or I was away at college or... I just wasn't old enough. So they don't know that the census is actually just like in order to drive, you go get a driver's license, and you can legally and lawfully above board drive. Conducting uh -huh. the census, participating in the census, allows you to say that, hey, I have participated, and that representative represents me and or the funds that not necessarily will hit me, but will hit my loved ones for 10 years to come is important. <coughs> All right. Well, we surely appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank uh, right. And where can people get more information? Thank you. Where can they go? 2020census.gov. 2020census.gov, not only to be a partner, but to get information and also to sign up because we're hiring. $13 to $30 an hour. Part-time jobs. Cool. Well, can I do that All in right. the evenings? You can. Evenings, can, and, really. evenings and weekends. Man. Roland, we need to go get one of those. We could do Who's census we? together. You and me. <laughs> no. We make a great not, team. Not going to happen. People won't uh, open their doors. <laughs> not going to happen. Yeah, Roland would be that They wouldn't. Not gonna happen. Oh no, no. <laughs> They'll open the doors because they know me. Uh, oh, really? They can say who's they that short they can say who's that short capper with you. I'm All good. right, Michael, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Mike Bloomberg is the only Democratic presidential candidate who understands that wealth creation and the current racial wealth gap is linked to past racism and has a plan to address the impact on black America. The crimes against black Americans still echo across the centuries, and no single law can wipe out that slate clean. The time has come, I think, to fully commit ourselves to acknowledging our history and righting our country's wrongs, and that's exactly what I will do as president. It's called the Greenwood Initiative. One, we will help a million more black families buy a house. Two, we will double the number of black-owned businesses. Three, we will help black families triple their wealth over the next 10 years to an all-time high. Mike will get it done. Visit MikeForBlackAmerica.com to learn more.
They're concrete proposals that we can afford and that we can get done, and we will. I'm Mike Bloomberg, and I approve this message. Paid for by Mike Bloomberg 2020. All right, folks. Uh, yeah, right. Whatever. Whatever. All right, folks. Today, a jury found that former PBS host Tavis Smiley violated the morals clause of his contract by having affairs with multiple women on his staff. Smiley sued PBS in 2018, alleging that the broadcaster had used a sham investigation as a pretext to cancel his show. PBS countersued saying that Smiley's sexual conduct constituted a breach of their contract. The jury del began deliberations on Monday and issued its verdict in favor of PBS this morning. The, the jury awarded PBS $1.5 million, but the total amount of damages have yet to be determined. That will be left up to the judge. Scott, uh, you're an attorney. So uh, in, in testimony, Tavis Smiley testified uh, saying that uh, his company did not have any rules that barred employees from having relationships. PBS countered by saying, we contracted with you, and so you also had to abide by our rules. Uh, that's a huge hit after this, this three-week trial. And they're not done yet. They awarded $1.5 for violating the morals clause, which is why most, most athletes and entertainers, if they get in a situation... Well, not even like athletes and entertainers. Look, I'm saying news people. Exactly. I mean, if you're on television, right. cable news, broadcast news, I mean... The reason you, news people, athletes, entertainers, whomever, doesn't sue the parent about poor conduct is because there's usually a morals clause, whether it's a football team, baseball team, basketball team, that fundamentally, you know how broad morals are and how you interpret them and what have you? Well, they countersued for violation of the morals clause. Now he's got to pay them $1.5 Had he not sued them, right, then that's $1.5 that PBS and their insurance carrier probably would not have gone after. It just would have been a clean break and let's just go our separate ways. So um, look for the appeal from uh, Tavis Smiley 1, but look for what the additional damages that are being calculated by the D.C. jury now and see what that comes out to. Because if it's $5 million, $10 million, then Tavis is going to have to appeal, and there's got to be something in the record that's going to make the D.C. Court of Appeals think twice and send it back down. Here's That's a, what he's hoping Here's to. a statement. Here's a statement we're, from PBS. We are pleased with the jury's decision. PBS expects our producing partners to provide a workplace where people feel safe and are treated with dignity and respect. It was important for us to ensure that the courageous women who came forward were able to share their stories and that we continue to uphold the values and standards of our organization. Uh, Wilmer, there were about six women who testified via video um, <clears throat> about how they were treated or mistreated or sexually harassed. Uh, some say pass over because they chose not to be engaged in relationships with him. Uh, and he had to admit on the stand that he did have uh, intimate relationships with at least two of those women. And none of them were able to provide video. None of them were able to provide email or any type of communication mm -hmm. which supported their claim. I, I thought that was incredibly interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, Scott, but also one woman who did accuse him of sexual harassment uh, left with a $325,000 settlement. Exactly. Right. Whatever these are his employees. These are his. These are and his. This contract right. was with PBS. So, so we're in this a, is we're a in really a different situation. We're in a in a vastly different political space now, where what and, and this was something that Chris Matthews talked about when he left uh, MSNBC was back in the day. 
you know, the things that I was saying and the things that I were doing, we could say and do, and now we can't say and do those things anymore. And they weren't right then, not and they're not right, and they're not right now. Yeah. The 1.5 million wasn't that uh, a PBS saying this is how much you've cost us for shows that were not delivered. No, what happened no, was uh, no. I wasn't okay. No, and also he was suing. He was breach of contract. Right, right. Okay. And he was suing them, saying mm -hmm. that they breached the contract right. uh, by launching this investigation, taking the show off the air, leading him to lose sponsors, right. and things along those lines. But I, uh, but I thought that they had that they had a, they had a sum of money saying that you there were twenty nine shows that they had paid for that they had not been able to to uh, to deliver. Not, not okay. sure. That that was one of the allegations. Okay. But the 1.5, you got to substantiate, PBS had to substantiate the 1.5 for breach of contract. Because you can breach a contract, but they, what are my damages? The measure of damages may have had some. Here's what it is. Here's what it is. PBS, of course, this is the variety piece. You can go to my iPad. PBS accused Smiley of breaching contracts for 2015, 2016, and 2017 mm -hmm. and sought to recoup payments from 2015 and 2016. Uh, Smiley had accused PBS of wrongfully withholding payments on the 2017 contract. He offered no comment after the ruling. ruling. Uh, Joseph, there's a statement that we all <clears throat> have heard and been told um, long before this whole Me Too movement, and that is, you do not shit where you eat. <laughs> you know what? And that's, say that? and, oh, yes, I can. Yes, I can say that. Well, well, again, the show's called Rollmart Unfiltered, and this is my shit. Oh, here we so go. I can. And the phrase, I mean, look, I remember hearing that phrase, hell, when I was in high school. And that phrase was, don't get involved with people right. in the workplace. Well, and now you have 1.5 million reasons mm -hmm. why you should not get involved with people in the workplace or more. Yeah. And clearly, his behavior, even if alleged, even allegations, uh, to this extent, could be harmful to him and to his network. Keep it above board. You're, they're your employees. You should treat them with respect. It's, it's, yeah, but here's it, the piece, though. First of all, his show got canceled. Mm -hmm. uh, there is no network. Uh, second of all, when the allegations came out, uh, the uh, book deal that he had suspended, right. that went away. Then there was an announcement that he was going to launch these series of discussions and interviews on the Word Network, and he was going to launch a digital show. Uh, I was told by the folks of the Word Network, but women were like, oh, hell no, and then that deal went, went kaput. Uh, he no longer, of course, well, he, had, he had left the Tom Jones Morning Show back in 2008, mm -hmm. wasn't doing radio, right. uh, and so I don't know necessarily what Tavis, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't talk to Tavis, I don't know what, mm -hmm. I don't know what he's doing, uh, so I don't think there's anything media, media related that he's doing. Uh, I don't see him uh, as he used to be on the speaking circuit, so all of that has dried up. Uh, a lot of people, Scott, were shocked that he would literally... He, remember, he went on Good Morning America, mm -hmm. did this whole big interview. They were shocked that he would actually file this lawsuit mm -hmm. and would go after PBS. And then what ended up happening was the PBS investigation, the report they did, his attorneys released a part of that investigation publicly to help him. But guess what? That means that all of the stuff that they gathered now is in the public domain versus you don't sue... Take the hit, chill for a year or two, and then come out in, in, exactly. in some, other, uh, some other way. This makes it harder for him to do that, but, but it also conjures up what, what we're told growing up, too. When you go to kill the king, you kill him, because if you don't kill him, he's going to slap you back.
at least. And so here, the the lawsuit calls PBS to investigate, and you had a lot of women who had been terminated, fired, passed over, weren't there anymore. So their lawyers went and investigated. His lawyers investigated. PBS came up with something, and the PBS said, well, wait a minute. We want our 1.5, and you breached the contract because you countersue to defend yourself. Were they really interested in that 1.5 million? If they lost it, fine, as long as they didn't have to pay uh, Tavis anything. But now, this is a blessing of gold for them. And if, and if they fact, 1.5 plus. And in fact, fact, what this also does is... And his insurance it, carrier, by the way. His insurance carrier will have to pay that, most likely, and they'll take that, that payment, they being PBS. Well, but here's the deal, though. <laughs> here's the deal, though. When this happened... Um, look, you lose the show, you obviously lose, but Walmart was a sponsor, you lose the sponsor, and so <coughs> you're upset because, because you get fired. <coughs> now, though, not only did you get fired, it's not been affirmed by a jury mm-hmm. that you absolutely were in the wrong. Now the whole report is in the public record yeah. and all of that, so now it's, it, it's just elevated by, by going after them and filing a lawsuit. Yeah, you got to sit down sometimes. Well, the, you got to it, hold your your and, so, and sometimes it, take the hit. Well, yeah. it doesn't. I mean, we'll the, phrase, the phrase is not. It, it, it it's a good offense. You know, championships are one. I, I screwed it up anyway. You know, <laughs> it's, 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 it's that's right. It, it doesn't it, it doesn't go the best defense is a good offense. Right. That's right, what I was trying right. to get out. But even you know, it, it smacks of a little bit of arrogance. I don't know. I mean, I don't know Tavis that well, but I I, I have heard some things that this is indignation. Fairly well, it's fairly in character and, 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 and but we're also I mean to bring it back to the political for a minute. We're also seeing this with Justin Fairfax in Virginia, mm-hmm. who somehow thinks that 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 he was in the wrong and he may have been. The allegations were unproven. But you don't attack Terry McAuliffe, you don't attack the party when you have this thing lingering over you. Nah, nah, but now, h- no, no, hold on. Here's why, here's why, here's why, here's why we're going to differ there. Uh, first and foremost, what you have is the, uh, the Fairfax people have laid, and he's been on this show, we discussed mm-hmm. it, the Fairfax people have laid out, the Fairfax people have laid out that um, literally moments after, like, Moments after um, allegations come out, McCullough sends a tweet out saying he should resign. Hmm. And they're saying, wow, that was quick. <laughs> right. Then the wife, LeVar Stoney, who was the mayor of Richmond, right. they have a document where the wife of his wife was involved with her saying, helping get, get the word out. Mm-hmm. So, you got, so you got a whole deal there. And... The question that I kept asking on this show, and, I, and I've said it before, full disclosure, he's an alpha, so am I. He's a member of Beta Nu Boulay, so am I. Scott's a member of the Boulay as well, so we, so, so, we know, so we know Justin. But here's the piece. Justin Fairfax says there are two black DAs, one in Durham, Massachusetts. one in Durham and one in Boston, who, has, who have said, if the women file a complaint, we will investigate. They have. That has not happened. They have well, they haven't. But the attorneys for the women keep arguing for an impeachment hearing. Mm-hmm. So you got to ask. So you have to, and this is not taking sides. You have to ask a very basic question. Right. Based on <clears throat> what? How would you be willing to testify in an impeachment hearing? But not. Co- but you, but you won't even file a complaint. File a complaint. And you have two black female DAs saying, "I'm gonna investigate." Here's my take on Justin. And again, I moderated the panel that, uh, that took place Saturday in Richmond. Uh, 
uh, uh, his uh, criminal justice summit. Here's the deal. What do I have to lose when I had a clean name, a clean record, got more votes than anybody else in history when I, when, when I ran for lieutenant governor, and I'm being taken out? I'm going to fight back with all I got. So I, if I'm Justin, I'm doing the same thing. If And then what's interesting is you got radio hosts who are Democrat and Republican who are Virginia like, yo, somebody got a raw deal here. But I guess my, my question is, what do you have to gain? Right? Easy. You've I mean, already easy. You've you've already you've already had folks uh, sully your name. Folks call for you to resign, say you should quit, and you were remember the Virginia governor could only serve one term. That's right. He was going to be next the one. presumptive nominee one. to be right. the governor of Virginia. Run for governor. And if you're for Justin Fairfax, if I could be next governor of Virginia. I got bigger sites as well. So all of these things that I had planned, all of a sudden, come crashing down. What don't I have to lose but to swing back? But I, but I guess what I'm, but I guess what I'm wondering is, if we're analogizing between him and Tavis Smiley, right? I mean, the theory in Tavis Smiley was, okay, something really did happen. Take the hit, lay low. No, 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 no. no. It's not that something really did happen. You admitted it but happened. You had the okay. Well, fine. Like, that this is. I mean, that's, that's fine. It's different to say it. somebody alleged a sexual assault. I actually didn't do it. Over here, PBS said you had you broke your morals clause. All right. He goes, yeah, yeah I did. Yeah. Then <laughs> then you go on Good Morning America and you admit, yeah, yeah I, I did. did. <laughs> then you have a trial and on the on the testimony, yes yeah, I, I did. did. It's a little hard to then say I ain't break the clause. Well, wait a minute, you left something <laughs> out. A jury said. Oh, he yeah, did. did. So, so it's the, that, that's the difference. The sure. diff, that's the difference sure. between Tavis okay. and Justin Fairfax. And, and, and I guess what, what the analogy that I'm trying to make is, um, in, in Justin Fairfax's case, would it, and perhaps this is a better, better, better pose as a question, would it serve him better? Young guy, got a political future. Would it serve him better to do the low pro thing for no, a while and no. then come back. No, okay. no, because no. He is, he is he in a queue. He has right. too much, he right. has way too much at stake Right. On the political front, in, in to, years, you, in a few in, years, and on something not like even political, the personal. Well, You've been accused of the, family. Forget, forget personal. Well, no, remember, wait, he also, remember the law firm also yeah. oh, no, the way he was working cut ties I, I, with. I, I, him. I understand. That's I understand. money. I understand, but but yep. but on uh, but when you look at everything that you laid out in terms of of his future, this is something that doesn't just go away. No, it does. It, it, he can't. And you can't outrun it. Si and, and silence, in many mm -hmm. instances, is acquiescence. You can't just sit quietly, and because when you then decide to run for governor, it's going to rear its ugly head once again. Oh, It'll never go oh, away. Oh, here's a piece. Here's It'll a piece. Never go away. He, 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 here is the problem when an accusation has been made, and you can't resolve it. It's always there. Michael, Michael, Michael Jackson settles a case, 10 million bucks or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, he's a child molester. Michael pedophile, Michael child molester. Yeah. Even though lawyer Johnny Cochran, Cochran, those that you settle those laws, those complaints, you admit to nothing, also stuff like that, didn't matter. And it's still there. Michael Jackson is now dead. Documentary is done alleging Michael Jackson's a child molester. And so it's one of those things where if all I, I go, I go back to Max Robinson, 1988. Max Robinson is dying of AIDS. 
He's speaking at Howard University, and he stands up in front of the alumni students and said, never ever lose your integrity or your credibility because in the end, it's all it. you've got. Mm -hmm. When all, I have said this before, I've said this before, if, if somebody accused me of beating a woman, if somebody accused me of sexual assault, and I know I ain't do it, bruh, we going to the mats. When, when, when that thing happened with Eddie Long and got accused by those dudes, mm -hmm. this is exactly what I said. When they had their news conference, Roland would have been in the back like in this the here. News conference. <laughs> and when they done, when they were done, I would have said, y'all stay seated. <laughs> I would have walked up to that microphone and said, everything you just heard was a lie. <laughs> I then would have said, ain't gonna be no private mediation, ain't gonna be no private discussions. We gonna live stream every conversation I have. Cause if I ain't do it, cause here's what I know. It don't matter if you settle that. They gonna say for the rest of your life, mm -hmm. you sexually molested those boys and, and had whenever relationships. They write about you. Whenever they and it write don't about matter. You. So it's one of those say. deals where if all I got is my name, dog, we swinging. Well, what and if, if I got it? Huh? What if you did it? Now, if I did, I'm sitting my ass down. <laughs> Quietly. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. And you're going to pull saying, out a pen. Well, I'm saying, right, but, and then but, but again, though, so, so to me, to me, we got to say, what's the difference between a brother who's in prison who for 27 years say, I did not commit this crime? They got three of them in Baltimore. And the other side over here, here. is a brother who gets accused of sexual assault who says... I did not do this, and now what you got is my word against yours, and the reality is there is no way to really adjudicate it except if the criminal complaint was filed, and that's what that's the only question I have for her attorneys. How is it that the two DAs have said, if you file a complaint, because mm -hmm. statute, statute of limitations is not up, if you file a complaint, we'll investigate. Yeah. Why haven't they filed a complaint but they've said will testify in front of impeachment hearing. And what he did... I need that answer. I don't understand that. What I find There's very no interesting... What I find very interesting about this case also is that from the outset... What case? Justin's case? Yes. Okay. From the outset, he has said, yes, we had a relationship, but it was consensual. He has been consistent on that point since he has spoken on that point. Mm -hmm. And which makes me wonder... If an investigation were to take place, what would come out from that investigation? Yeah, what would again. it show? And so again, I, I, the, the, the whole point here is this: here, when your name, when you're fighting for your name, mm -hmm. I understand why you would sue. In the case here, Tavis Smiley files a lawsuit, but but you, but you have relationships. His argument is, well, my company did not. Uh, Outlaw that. Yeah, but you're doing business with another exactly. company, and the moment you, underwriting the your moment show. you dis do business with another company, their rules also come into play, and so that's just one of the things there. So, that's not all right, folks. La last item here that I, that I need to get to is, oh my goodness. So Sean King is trending on Twitter uh, because last night uh, he actually posted a tweet where he was complaining about something that Rachel Maddow uh, said. Well, Rachel Maddow took exception to what Sean King tweeted by saying. Uh, no, I didn't. This is the headline right here uh, under, um, uh, it's in Mediaite, if I can pull it up. Uh, Rachel Maddow calls out, go to my iPad, Rachel Maddow calls out Sanders surrogate Sean King, 
for pushing fake news. I didn't report any such a thing. So um, th this is what Sean tweeted. Breaking, MSNBC and Maddow just reported that multiple senior officials within the Democratic Party are interfering with the primaries to stop Bernie Sanders. They reported that the party has asked Bloomberg to drop out so that Biden would have an easier time against Bernie. That's what he tweeted. Well, Scott, this is what Maddow responded with. What? No, I didn't report any <laughs> such thing. Then, Sean then goes, yes, uh, you absolutely did. Then he, then he posts this video right here of her commenting. Now, uh, I'm going to try to play the video. Um, can y'all hear it? It's striking to hear Letterman say that the Bloomberg campaign is ex experiencing intense pressure from multiple sources inside the Democratic Party that he needs to quit. It's also... So he posts that clip as his defense. Then he posts this other video saying, in this segment, you then followed up by commenting on his claim that senior officials within the party were calling on Bloomberg to drop out in the name of helping Biden and harming Bernie. Uh, then, now here's what's strange here. Here's what's real strange. Um, first, this is just very strange here. Sanders has been highly critical of Bloomberg for getting in the race. So, if the Democrats are pressuring Bloomberg to get out of the race, why would you object? Bernie has been saying he shouldn't be in the race. Now, if you look at the political calculus, if you say that Bloomberg staying in the race actually hurts Biden to help to, Bernie. To help Bernie, you should be arguing, no, but Mike, don't get out. <laughs> so, Sean, you can't have both ways. You can't sit here and say, why are you, say, why are you saying that? Uh, and then, so I tweeted today, real simple. Uh-oh. Where, no, it's very yeah. simple. I said, where's the link to prove this, Sean? Mm -hmm. Maddow says this is a lie. Either present the truth or delete the tweet. That's what I said. Well, Y'all, Sean King uh, uh, gets it uh, a little personal, uh, and he decides to block me on Twitter because I tweeted that. And look, I I've known Sean, and so y'all see it right here. And so pull it up. So he here's the piece, and this is exactly what I said: that if you don't, if you can't be accountable, you, first of all, you can't call yourself a journalist and allege something and you don't have proof to back it up. And I said that part of the problem here is that Sean doesn't necessarily like being accountable. And I said, and you can't just get mad that somebody block you because they dare ask a simple question uh, and you do a punk move like blocking them. And I said, feel free to retweet it. And then I sent Sean a text saying exactly how I felt about, really, dude? Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's how you roll? Mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting about this is when, when you be begin to break this whole thing down, now, all of a sudden, you're tw tr trending. Folks are talking about you. But it makes no sense. It makes no sense. See, here's what I need the Bernie people to do. Stop bitching and focus on running. And so, all of a sudden, oh, they're all trying to come against Bernie. Here's the whole deal. If you get more Bernie votes than Joe, it don't matter done. what they do. Done. See, that's just say hard. If you get more votes, it don't matter. Now, you can be all mad about saying, oh, my goodness, they all targeting, but that's what? why you run. And see, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm trying to find the tweet. Uh, I'm, I really want to show this because, huh, here's the response <laughs> from the sister 
who was the editor-in-chief of the North Star, who Sean hired, highly touted. Uh, she is, of course, a Dubois fellow from Harvard. Y'all remember Dr. Keisha Blaine? Mm -hmm. This is her tweet. Go to my iPad, Henry. Sean and the word accountability should never appear in the same sentence. So many people warned me about him and I didn't listen. But I learned through experience, not rumors or innuendos, mm. but real life experience with a liar and a fraud. Oh. Blocking can erase facts. Oh. Now, here's the deal. I have absolutely nothing personal against Sean King. Mm -hmm. I know him. We used to be, we, he was on the Tom Jordan Morning Show. We've talked in the past. There's no animosity whatsoever. And look, and a bunch of people block me, and I bunch of block a bunch of block I, I block a bunch of people. But Sean, this is weak. This is real weak when you start blocking people who only say, "Bruh, be accountable." Show it to me. It's simple as that. So I don't understand why he's in his feelings, mm -hmm. uh, but it's silly and it's trifling. And I said to him, Joseph, when he decided to get in the media, <laughs> when you choose to step into this field of journalism. You can't make some mistakes because they're going to call you out on it. And that's how they challenge your credibility when they can hit you on some stuff. If your integrity is all you have as, exactly. as a politician or an individual, mm -hmm. as a journalist, your integrity is all you've got. You rise and fall Let me tell you what else is silly about all this. Bernie Sanders is a Democratic Socialist. He runs on the Democratic Party when he wants to run for president. When he's not running for president, he's not even a Democrat. He's an independent. So how can you be called to complain about the Democratic Party and being put upon and what have you? Well, you, you have no investment in the party other than a mechanism for running for president. I, mean, I guess you could complain, but if you're a front runner and you've got this revolution, well, you also you're have gonna to have... you're going to man up and take the hits and well, keep Well, yeah, I was, was going to say, you also have to have a thicker skin than exactly. that. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Give I mean, a break. That's politics. Even, even, well, how much... But do we know, and I ask this because I honestly don't know, yes, Sean is a surrogate for Bernie, but is this really... Is this really surrogate related? Or well, being a surrogate? <laughs> exactly. Or is this just Sean, right. Sean being Sean? Right. Look, no, no, but here's the deal, though. First of all, if you're criticizing Rachel Maddow because something she said is tied to Bloomberg and Biden, mm -hmm. and you're saying that they're all targeting Bernie, you're being a Bernie surrogate. That's what you're doing. But here's the other deal. I don't care if you're being a Bernie surrogate, or I don't care if you're in your capacity as North Star uh, CEO, whatever. Truth is truth. And, well, the, no and, 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 and the bottom line and is, the is and, the and the bottom line is to say, well, you said this when she even mentioned Bernie's name. Yeah. Okay, in the mm -hmm. clip I played, right. she didn't mention Bernie's name. Oh, and it's like, dude, you're sitting and doing but it's silly. And also, you're now now maybe he maybe Sean likes being people dogging him being trending. Maybe he likes that gets off to it. But my whole point <laughs> is, it's like, dude, really? And and people writing stories on it. And look, I didn't have to address it. But I chose to do so because I tweeted, like, dude, you block somebody who simply is saying, bruh, put, is either put the truth out or delete the tweet. And guess what? Numerous other people, black, white, whatever, saying that's simply not what she said. And here's the other piece, and this is my last comment on this. Sean, this don't help you as a surrogate and your candidate. Because guess what? Your candidate is on Rachel Maddow tonight. Mm -hmm. So how in the hell does it help your candidate yeah. And so this is also where you got to be a smart surrogate. You don't piss off certain people or go after them unless you write. Not matter. 
No, anybody. She got an hour. If I swear, <laughs> but other deal though, but a big microphone. But here's it, it don't matter. Right. If Roland Martin swings on Rachel Maddow, trust me, Roland will connect. And you will not be able to doubt what I said. Cause see, when I hit, I hit square in the solar plexus. You can't sit here and try to throw something at somebody and think you hit them. All, all, this is what Maddow did. Sean threw something, she went. That's all that happened. So be a better surrogate. Like George Bush with the shoe. Right. Be a, be, be a, be a better surrogate and don't just do silly stuff like this. Because in tennis, it's called an unforced error, and it makes no sense. All right, y'all, we got to go. Uh, uh, please support. Uh, first of all, we're not late. When you own the show, you can extend it to two hours. So you don't know nothing about that. Oh, so, folks, uh, see what happens when you have cappers on the show no, who know no. nothing. Well, be respectful of your guests. Now, let me, no, Scott, you could left at any time. I could? You couldn't left really? at any time, yeah. Can I leave right Scott, now? Scott, yes. We've done Put the show, without, we've done the show without you on many times. You have. In fact, y'all can go to a wide shot. Y'all want to support <laughs> Rollerball and Filter it. Join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar you give goes to support this show. Y'all dollars go to the wide shot. Y'all dollars made this it. No, you gave under duress. Let's also be clear. Because uh, you're supposed to give 10000 oh, to settle God. your bet. But then, of course, I you pulled funked. the bet back. Yeah, you did. Okay. Because you, you were getting cute. No. No. Tell, tell, tell women what happened. Oh, I know what happened. No, no, no. no, no. Scott, tell them what happened. Gotta go, gotta go. It's getting late. I had an alpha shirt on, and Scott said, cover that up. Put a, put a jacket on. A, a suit jacket. No, he said a jacket. You know what I meant. It was a quote, jacket. Jacket. We had a, another witness here. I said, Chelsea, go to my office get my jacket. I said, She great. brought out my alpha jacket. Uh, I put it on. I, I said, said what, that's not I said, what I, I said, grand. He said, no, nah, I ain't mean that. I, I mean, mean a, a suit, suit jacket. jacket. I said, but you said a jacket. I pulled the back I, back I, I he went back. No, he pulled it back because yeah. he went, shit, he got a jacket. <laughs> no, he and didn't have a suit jacket, said, though. A suit jacket. So then he's like, okay, you know, okay, I give a thousand. Now, I mind think, you. I think Sean King should settle this bet. <laughs> Y'all support the Bring the, bring the Funk Flan Club, plan, plan club by going to, yeah, uh, I got, I, right, he had to get a thousand. First of all, he'd been, first of all, but he, woman, he'd been promising to get her the fan club for a year, and he had never done it. And so, frankly, he was late. Are you bragging or complaining? No, I'm just stating. thousand dollars. I'm stating. It should have been ten. He's come bragging. It should have been ten. Well, facts we facts. should negotiate then. No. What concessions are you, you going to make? You lost the, the bet. Grand? How about this here? Never bet an alpha. I need, I need concessions. All, never bet against black and gold. You always lose. We, we will Support Green and Fuck Fan Club, y'all, by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. PayPal, uh, Cash App, uh, or Square as well. Uh, every dollar you give goes to support this show. The live stream today we did with the Black Women's Roundtable, the release of their report. That's the case. Melanie's conference, the Black Women's Roundtable conference, starts this weekend. We will be live streaming every single day, tomorrow through Sunday. And that's why we do this here, folks, because guess what? These cable networks aren't covering black issues. They are covering black organizations. We amplify the voices and what they're doing by virtue of this platform. So we support all of you who give. Also support my man Leroy Campbell and his art. You see this great artwork, Remember the Vote, depicting multiple generations of black folks voting. Uh, and so go follow him on Twitter and Instagram as well. I got to go. Time to go to the house. Joseph, Wilmer, Kappa, thank you so very much. I, I appreciate that. Aloysius, we appreciate that. Thank you so very much. Uh-huh. Yes, absolutely. I got to go. Holler! <laughs>
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio Music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.